America. My name is Amir Say Frimpong, and man, are you going to get your money today? I, I come to you live every Thursday about this time, and today we're going to talk about Freud, Hegel, um, the con unconsciousness, and con and the work of contradiction in U.S. politics and what that means. And so let's just get right into it because there's no reason to dilly dally. When we talk about Freud, and when I'm talking about Freud now and the unconscious, we have to understand that what we do realizes both our conscious intention and our also unconscious satisfactions and desires, right? So what we do isn't often what we say we're going to do or what we mean to do. It's, it's, uh, it's the combination of what we mean to do and what we intend to do, plus like these unconscious satisfactions we have that we don't talk about that that aren't made explicit that we would even deny if we uh if we if 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 they were put to our face because maybe our intentions our consciousness is rooted in the denial of these other drives and other satisfactions especially the satisfactions that actually are realized in our actions so we have to look at the actions it's the action that tells what happened not necessarily the intention especially the conscious intention because the in the action you find the unity of both the conscious intention and the unconscious desire and the satisfactions of the unconscious desire right i hope that's moderately clear and with respect to u.s politics i think that's important because there are a lot of people who are satisfied with injustice in ways that they're not conscious of and will actively disavow consciously um, especially something like racial justice or class um, warfare. A lot of, yeah, um, they're unconsciously satisfied with racial justice. Um, so while, so they'll pitch um, any sort of, they'll pitch racial justice initiatives that won't actually change the system that secures their satisfaction. Right, so this is where you get like nonprofits pitching racial justice initiatives with like charity work or something like that. Something that won't actually change the 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 degradations of of the of of lineage harms that have been done to Black Americans in the United States. And by the way, when we talk about something like reparations or racial justice, I really think we should talk about lineage justice. Maybe I'll do a show on just lineage justice. Actually, that's a good idea. Not racial justice, lineage justice, because um racial justice in the united states isn't about color as much as about degradation of lineage that was kind of um annexed to color or uh attached to color but it didn't it it's not necessarily tied to color in an obvious way it's tied to the degradation of lineage but until we talk about lineage benefits which whites are really bad at talking about the benefits of lineage um of we can't really talk about what lineage degradations mean. And you don't really know what lineage degradations mean until like you see a functional family and then you go to a degraded family and you could just see that like, oh, functional families are, are they have a lot more advantages than degraded families. I'll say this right now because, um, you know, I just look at the advantages my kids have versus the advantages um, that I didn't have just in terms of cultural and just because like, you know, I'm not as much of a scared Negro as my mom was. Uh, 
So like in a lot of ways, my kids have advantages just because of that kind of like uh, uh, legacy degradation, uh, the lack of legacy degradation. Anyway, so you'll find a lot of Americans, especially white Americans, especially white women, they're, they're the ones I think they, they get this the most confused, who are satisfied with their lot unconsciously, but consciously will uh, proclaim themselves as, um, you know, progressive and pushing for justice. But in the actions and the content of their campaigns, that'll be the content will be um uh, uh initiatives that won't actually change anything but the status quo and that's because their conscious intentions has been have been undermined by their unconscious desires and freud gives you a language to talk about you know how these unconscious desires and the satisfactions the unconscious satisfactions that are expressed in action um give the truth to like where, what someone's desires really are and give the lie to what someone's conscious intentions really are. Right? So you have this conscious aspect and you have this unconscious aspect and they both come with satisfactions. But if you just look at the intentions and the conscious intentions in action, you'll, you'll often be confused. Um, and, you know, I think unconsciously we know. <laughs> so... I was I was thinking today about uh, Nick Fuentes and how he's the unconscious of American politics, like that's articulated, the articulated unconscious of American politics. So when he says that he actually doesn't, he looks up to Hitler. That's um, that's that. I think that's actually completely consistent with American culture. Except when we say that, we don't say we look up to Hitler. We say we look up to Andrew Jackson. <laughs> uh, but there isn't really that much of a difference between Andrew Jackson and, and Hitler. There, there isn't. Um, to an extent, there isn't that much of a difference between Woodrow Wilson. But Andrew Jackson, I think it's clear with the, with the genocide and, and, and the casualness um, with which, or the seriousness with which, um, like, he was willing to deal death in order to preserve or create what he considered the American way of life. You know, with Truman... You could say he's different than Hitler, except when you read about North Korea, we just moved our death camps overseas. Like the firebombing of North Korea was a death camp. Like we turned the entire, you know, peninsula into a death camp instead of, instead of creating death camps here. Right? So um, we're satisfied with the Andrew Jacksons and the Trumans and the Woodrow Wilsons and the Thomas Jeffersons were satisfied with them um, in a way and were satisfied with the atrocities that they represent. And they, they, they were satisfied with their atrocious behavior in a way that we can't articulate and our, that needs and our consciousness precludes us from articulating. And, and we're satisfied with the current order of white supremacy um in america because it you know it, it's got perks and we're satisfied and it, that and it brings satisfaction and nick fuentes just says this like clearly and explicitly but our intentions and our consciousness is predicated as a nation is predicated on denying our satisfactions with the ugliest side right so um 
So Fuentes is the unconscious American, which is why I don't really hate Fuentes because I have to deal with, you know, the satisfactions of Americans, even the ones that they don't admit that with which they have. And it's the same with like a lot of women are satisfied with the status of women in the United States <coughs> because of the perks. You know, they don't want to have to ask our guys. They want impunity with respect to accountability, with respect to breaking up families and like initiating, you know, 60 to 90% of the divorces, depending on um, education levels and doing it for pretty dicey reasons. And, and, you know, the lack of accountability that like we can't, like we can't say that like, you know, obesity is a problem. Um, Oh, you're fat phobic. And we can't say that, like, actually, you're bad. We can't. When's the last time you're allowed to call mothers bad? A lot, there are a lot of bad parents out there, but we can't even talk about parenting because a lot of parenting is mothers, and we can't call mothers, like, bad at their jobs. Um, so um, there are a lot of women who are satisfied unconsciously with the perks of the patriarchy where women aren't held accountable but get to rise above the fray of 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 political and public accountability as women um so the the contradictions or the the unconscious satisfactions of some of our gender identities are not exactly do a lot of work in the realized action of our politics even if we don't talk about them because Consciously and intentionally, we uh, we have to you know make a distinction between Andrew Jackson and Hitler. And consciously and intentionally, we have to pretend that you know being a woman is all bad in in America. Um, but you know there are some conscious satisfactions that explain why there are women fighting to keep you know what are considered patriarchal and and traditional gender roles because they got a good deal out of it they get a good deal out of it in some ways there's some unconscious satisfactions and until we make those explicit we can't work about it and we can't like actually talk about what it means that the division of risk in society isn't what it should be um and the division of labor in society isn't what it should be so we want to make want to we want to equalize the division of labor so that men do you know more women's work but we also want to equalize the division of risk or i would like to equalize the division of risk so that women do take on a lot of the risk uh and take it on publicly a lot of the risk that is just kind of shunted onto men risk and responsibility and i'm not just talking about asking you know the significant other out or proposing marriage anything like that i'm talking about like what protection means and being the final responsibility for anything that goes on and also public accountability um <laughs> yeah I, so i want equality in both the division of labor and division of risk but if you're satisfied with the current order of uh gender division of risk you're not really going to fight for that even if you're if you're unconsciously satisfied with it you're not going to consciously um fight against it with the correct amount of fervor so to speak Right, so that's Freud on the unconsciousness. And what does this have to do with Hegel? All right, so unfortunately, and McGowan makes this actually pretty good in his book, um, Emancipating Hegel. I think it's a, it's a good book. It, you know, inspired a lot of the insights in this talk. Uh, Hegel didn't have the resources of Freud and of psychoanalysis to actually work through what um, 
kind of desire means and why and give a, an other kind of account of why contradiction is necessary for identity. And when you, when I say, I, when you say, I mean, I, what do you mean contradiction is necessary for identity? I mean, to be what you are and for things to be what they are, they also have to be what they're not, right? For someone to be loyal, that means there is the possibility for them to not be, to be disloyal, right? This is why angels can't be traditionally good because angels like the real angels, insofar as there are real angels, real angels can't be bad. <laughs> Their will is determined by being good. So they can't be good either because part of what it is to be good is the ability to be bad and then, you know, choosing to be good or somehow arranging yourself to be good. If you can only be good, then that's just what you are in a way that, that, that wouldn't be your identity. It wouldn't be noticed as your identity, right? So loyalty becomes an issue only because that same person could be disloyal. There also, there's a part of them that is disloyal, right? And, um, you know, there's some formal arguments for this about how every identity has a contradiction in it. For example, even A is A is a contradiction because A is A is a self-relation and... B is B is a self-relation, but if they're both self-relations, if they both are what they are and both are self-relations, I would, should be able to say that A is B, but that's not true. Um, so there's a way in which when I say A is A, I'm actually adding content to the first A and allowing a way in which A is not A. Um, but that's a, kind of a formal argument. Not particularly. If you followed it, great. You know, If you didn't, that's fine too. Just understand that uh, even something like slavery has in its contradiction. Every slave is also in a way free. If they weren't free, they wouldn't be a slave. They would be a machine, right? Well, you don't talk about machines being slaves or free because they're machines, right? And it's actually uh, understanding that the role of contradiction in identity that that humans can do that computers can't, which is why one of the reasons why I'm not really that worried about artificial intelligence, because artificial intelligence can't really retain the contradiction that goes along with identity in the way that uh, a persons can. And um, they don't conceive the world in terms of identity through identity and contradiction. Um, so every, everything is also what it's not in a way that's submerged in the way that every action is also like one's intention and also one's unconscious desire. And we need to look at, we need to look at the contradictions in order to understand what we're dealing with. And that's where the interesting aspects of things, you know, someone was asking why, um, happy kids are boring. Happy kids are boring. Well, it's because they're not wrestling with any contradictions. If you're not wrestling with any contradictions, if the world is like, exactly what it appears to be and you don't have any problems you're wrestling with you're going to be boring right interesting people are like dwelling and diving deep on the contradiction right like look we just came back from easter easter right and that's a i mean that's the the idea that christ rose from the dead is part of the contradiction of christianity it's like 
it's not something we thought would happen. It could happen. Um, and that's what makes it interesting. Right? What does it mean? What does a contradiction mean? Because contradictions are meaningful. And what does it mean that like God can become flesh? Right? Because that's one thing God shouldn't be. Right? What does it mean that the God that is flesh was then like submitted to a political order? Like all of these contradictions make it interesting because there's also an identity that's made clearer through these contradictions, but the without actually resolving the contradictions. The Trinity. It's a beautiful contradiction that's actually meaningful as a contradiction. Um, that something can be both spiritual, incarnate, and neither. And has to be in order for this to make sense. So, um, meaningful, meaningful identities come with meaningful contradictions. And if you try to get the contradictions out of meaningful identities, you're going to lose the meaning and the relations that make the identity what it is. Right? So we need to dwell and sit with the contradictions. And, and that's where progress comes from. Progress comes from dwelling and sitting with the contradictions. You know, we... Uh, no, when I first got to grad school, I thought I was going to write on the rabble. You know, and the rabble is the contradiction in civil society. Civil society is supposed to allow us to be free. It's supposed to allow us to um, participate in market-based market civil society. It's supposed to allow us to express our freedom and our individuality. The problem is civil society is fickle and it moves quickly. And it's, it's, it also, you know, closes your job, right? <laughs> you know, NAFTA did a number on civil society if you were in a... Uh, in a you know, work in a factory job in the Midwest, right? If you're a beeper salesman and Steve Jobs comes out with the iPhone, like there's no place for you in civil society. So um, people, there's, so there's, with the rapidity of the market economy that's supposed to allow freedom and the flexibility and the dynamism of the market economy, it also generates this class of people who have committed to like making themselves a specific kind of person, and then the market has decided that that kind of person is completely irrelevant. You could see how this kind of segued into like, oh yeah, you can think about race in that way, um, and black disposability in that way. America needed, you know, Negro labor until it didn't, and now, um, you know, put a, a generations of investment into making the Negro a certain sort of way. And now it's perfectly disposable. So we're like a living contradiction to America and like in a lot of ways. We're the living contradiction to America that America generated um, but needs to disavow in order to be what it is as a nation. In the same way that, you know, America generated an Andrew Jackson and, you know, no small number of founding fathers, right? So I hope this has been helpful. Freud on the unconsciousness. I want you to understand if you take anything from this, Freud on the unconsciousness. Our actions realize both our conscious intentions and our unconscious desires and satisfactions. So if you just look at our intentions, you're not going to get the whole story. People, people are confused about themselves um, because, you know, it's the actions that tell. And when you see like a kind of half-done action, you have to wonder if there's an unconscious satisfaction that's working there that kind of keeps people from going full-throated. And also, 
not just uh, uh, Freud and conscious and unconscious. It's also Hegel and the contradiction. Every identity holds within it its contradiction. It's other. And you need the other to make the thing what it is. Right? Like, go back to what I said about loyalty. Everything that is loyal has to, has to be the kind of thing that could be disloyal. If it weren't the kind of thing that could be disloyal, that means it wouldn't be loyal. It would be something else. It would be fixed in a way that's um, like inhuman um, and good. So thank you for your time. Um, hope you check out Todd McGowan's book, The Emancipation After Hegel, Achieving Contradictory Revolution. It's actually, it's, he's a, it's good. It's good. It's good. And I hope you learned a little bit something about Freud and the relationship between consciousness and unconsciousness and the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves that might not actually be true about all of ourselves. It might just be a superficial story. And I hope the idea that like every identity contains its contradiction um, does work for you and it kind of starts to make sense. And hopes, I hope you... I hope that makes you relax a little bit about artificial intelligence because if thinking means holding in the contradiction in the identity, then it's not clear that computers can do that or artificial intelligence in their calculation can hold in contradictions in the same way and appreciate contradictions as part of the identities of things. Thank you for your time. Uh, oh, if you appreciate anything I'm doing, which you should, because you're not going to get this quality of wisdom elsewhere, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars um, a month, and I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to come back with free game on Monday, which is just why I talk about relationships um, and how to navigate the contradictions of our relationships. And like the play of unconscious and conscious desires in immediate relationships um, on Monday. And then Thursday, I'll do a politics show like I normally do. Take care. Bye.